I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. And welcome to the second annual Spoiler Alert Movie Challenge, Spoiler Alert Civil War. Last time we did this, Duncan offered me the cinematic choice of watching Sweet Movie or Adam Sandler's Jack and Jill, uh, a choice between a film in which people vomit and pee in each other's faces, and a film where Adam Sandler metaphorically vomits and pees in the audience's faces. (laughs) Uh, Look, naturally I chose the film that didn't star Adam Sandler. Uh, This year his choice was a bit tougher. He gave me Black Cat, White Cat, or Come and See. Two films from Eastern Europe with great critical reputations, neither of which I'd seen. Uh, in the end, I chose Come and See purely for the reason that I'd written the title down in my notebook of movies I need to see uh, that I keep by my, by my computer. It's a notebook that gets fatter and fatter by the month. So, you know, any opportunity to like, put a line through a title yep. is a real win for me. Excellent. Yeah, so thanks for that. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, it's one that, uh, similar to Sweet Movie, it's one that I saw kept cropping up on list of, you know, Controversial but good films to yep. check out and yep. come and see keep cropping up and uh, I yep. thought well this would be a good opportunity. No, great. A- and between come and see and Black Cat White Cat, almost diametrically opposed in uh, <laughs> in tone. Ah right, so, right, you know right. what I mean. So Black Cat White Cat's quite quite yep. light hearted, good fun, and this is okay. Probably not so much. Okay, all right. Mm. And I gave you no choice at all. You watched you watched Equinox. I did. I watched nineteen seventies Equinox. So um, we'll, we'll we'll do come and see first, shall we? Yeah, we'll talk I about figured, that. You know, I, I figured this is going to be a little grimmer, perhaps. Yeah. So we'll get out of the way first. And I've had a look at the conditions out there. It feels like, you know, it feels like a good reviewing pitch. Yeah. So I figure I'll go ahead and get some runs under. Yeah, you want you on the toss. So yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Always so, bat first. Come and See, 1985, directed by Ilham Klimov and starring Alexei Kravinsko and Olga Murinova. Well done. Yeah, thank you. Come and See opens in World War II with Floria, played by newcomer Alexei Kravinsko, discovering a rifle buried in the earth and sealing his fate with the discovery. With the weapon in hand, he is dragged off to join the partisans, resisting the rampaging German forces. He brings retribution, or at least he believes he does, on his village and ultimately he finds himself at the centre of a township's brutal destruction before once more finding himself immersed in the partisan warband. Look, my previous experience with Come and See came down to two things. Seeing images of Alexei Kravinsko's tortured face staring down the barrel of the camera and watching the remarkable scene of Floria and his companion Golsha running headlong through Floria's deserted village. Golsha glancing back to see for an instant a pile of corpses, all that remains of Floria's family stacked like so much firewood against the wall of a building uh, it's a blink and you'd miss it moment the first gut punch of the horrors to come and so much more effective for it being so short so barely glimpsed because until then come and see had been really restrained and quite languid in pace poetic scenes of floria and gulcher in the woods followed by a curious bird as they build their own nest in the undergrowth uh it had a real terence mallet like quality those those scenes yeah but once bombs started falling and, you know, incidentally, I remember thinking, how the hell did they shoot those bombs falling? Because it yeah. felt like it was in the same frame as these kids. Yeah. Just yeah. running from explosions and trees just shattering and exploding, you know? That first one especially. Yeah. That seems like it goes off right behind them. It does. It feels really close. Yeah. And and it's it's in that frame. And they are yeah. there. Uh, a remarkable. Um, 
you know, it looks for all the world like the axes were meters away from getting shredded. And then everything changes in the film from that from that moment on. That's right. Um, it's all my fault as Flores' reaction to the decimation of his village, as if the act of wanting to fight back was enough to doom his family. And from this point on, he begins to age. Come and see was shot chronologically, meaning every trauma in the script added a fresh wrinkle and a, and a fresh grey hair to Flores' young face. Events which I presume occur over you know weeks or perhaps days age Flores seemingly by decades. He's an old man at the end of the film, practically. Eh? Yeah. Um, the actor himself was said to have gone grey during the film's shooting. A story I kind of doubt, you know. Yeah. But the effect of his ageing on screen is really remarkably effective, I thought. And, you know, considering they actually use live footage at times, maybe it's a true story. Maybe he did go grey, you know. <laughs> they got freaked out, you know, during that scene where they got a machine gun just shooting over here yeah. and tracer bullets in the air. Apparently they use live ammunition. Yeah, yeah. They were saying, <laughs> and he was saying, like, um, he claims that, you know, the bullets were flying, like, you know, foot over him or something you yeah know, that close yeah um it's also to- a film told pretty much exclusively from floria's pov it's with him the entire way sometimes from his actual pov and only for one vital moment when Golsha sees his family showing us something he is spared seeing uh but but director klimov jolts us often dropping bombs on our poor protagonist or cutting disruptively from a cheerful hike with his fellow partisans this helter-skelter sp- sprint, you know, mm. with bullets and enemy gunfire going off. Yeah. That's remarkable. That scene that you uh, spoke of where they're running away and Golsky yeah. turns back over here. It reminded me of the, of the, um, uh, you know, the story in the Bible, the running away. Oh, lot, yeah. Lots, oh, white, yeah. Lots yeah, of yeah, wife yeah, running yeah, away totally, from Sodom totally. and Gomorrah and turning around and seeing... Become turning into a pillar of salt. Turning into a pillar of salt, and it felt like that. Like just like, maybe that's my interpretation. Old Testament God, eh? Yeah, yeah, very yeah. much so. Yeah, it is such a f- uh, that there in a snippet is just that one scene yep. shows the the mastery of the direction, really. Yeah, I think so. I think just showing it as the briefest of glimpses, mm. just like almost something you could have blinked and missed, and and would have if you you know if you're watching this and didn't quite. Yeah. Um. You know, it's not gruesome. No. You know, and that's the point. I think. Um. So a bit of background, I think I'll just dip into some, you know, for people who don't know this film. And none of the actors were trained performers. Uh, in the casting of the film's lead, the then 14-year-old Alexei Kravinsko, that that approach paid off in spades. Uh, wanting a blank slate for the devastation of war to be etched upon. The director Klimov got a wonderful natural performance, I thought, mm. of Alexei. Uh, he's still a working actor as well, which I guess proves his natural talent. You know, he's still quite busy. Yeah. He took, I think, uh, maybe 10 years after this film. But since then, just... Every year he's doing something. He's in a TV show. He's, yeah. you know, he'd probably need ten years just to get over the. I, yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> this yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but he's so believable and great in Come and See, and a role that would challenge the best actors. Because so much of the film depends upon his often wordless reactions to the chaos around him. Frequently, he stares straight at the camera, his shell-shocked face communicating so much that it could so easily have been lost or seem comically overwrought. Mm. You know, if it had been handled any less well. Uh, but if Come and See was the beginning of an actor's journey, it was the end of a director's. Elam Klimov, at the age of 52, quit filmmaking after completing the film. He just apparently quite simply had nothing left to say. Yeah. And I remember reading that, and I just thought, yeah. Yep. <laughs> what more just can you say than drop, that? as I'd say nowadays. Yeah. 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 It, it very much is, I think. Yeah. Um, so there are a couple of other things. It was made, obviously, during the communist era and intended as a celebration of 40 years since the victory of uh, World War Two. The script took eight years to get approved. Mm. Um, eight years. Mm. But once production, uh, once it was approved, surprisingly perhaps, there was no interference in the production at all. 
The only thing that changed was the title. It was originally called Kill Hitler. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And instead they changed it to Come and See, which is taken um, from the book of Revelations. It's about John's response to the coming of the apocalypse, you know, mm. which is, you know, apt, as you say. Yeah. Um, it was a massive success in the Soviet Union and was uh, selected as the Soviet entry for the best foreign language film at the 58th Academy Awards, but was not accepted as a nominee. What the hell? What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I can't imagine watching this film and go, yeah, no, that's not really up to scratch, eh? Yeah. Or even going, oh, this is communist propaganda. It's Well, yeah, which it's, is it's not. not. That's what I mean. Like, it's yeah. not. You couldn't even read that as a subtext into this. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. No. Yeah. Um, Look, the German invasion, if you like, if you want to use that word, of a small town is the film's most striking, sustained, brutal sequence. Uh, Look, full of bizarre, grotesque and captivating images, the Germans are presented as boars, bullies, and so very much worse, uh, parading around with dead bodies, burning people alive, and cheering as they do. Uh, All the while, a loudspeaker proclaims, Germany is a civilized country with all the plausibility of like those aliens from Mars attacks going, <laughs> you know, we come in peace. <laughs> and the voice of that proclamation comes from this beautiful German woman in uniform sucking on a crayfish limb while the unit's commander pets this tiny loris, this, this you know, monkey like primate. I mean, God knows where he got it from. It is really madness. It's just this a loud, reckless, raping, mut- murdering, traveling circus. Yeah. You know, uh, nightmarish. And I felt maybe overblown. More fury rode than Eastern Front. Mm. Uh, until I did a bit of research and discovered just how out of control the invasion of particularly this part of Russia was, you know, uh, this area where they saw them as particularly subhuman, you mm. know. And, and look, I knew there were atrocities, but I guess the wildness of, the, of them was something I didn't expect. Mm. Um, and even if the madness of the Germans was overstated, the violent absurdity of their actions must surely have felt this lunatic, you know. Yeah. I mean, I guess how how else do you make sense of what's happening? Yeah, and or how else do you commit acts like this and until you've already been pushed out of? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, I can't imagine this as a, a very ruthless, organised, yeah. structured, but a dispassionate like a, yeah thing yeah. to do. You would almost have to be mad. Yeah. Or you know, yeah. swept up in the madness of what they were doing, yeah, and, yeah, and being and being taught that these were subhuman, these weren't, these were dogs, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah, people. that's right, and um, and even worse, I mean, just the yeah, and and parts of it reminded me of that kind of apocalypse now, the the absurdity of war, yeah, uh, that's thrown in there, the you know people dressing up, yeah, and uh, uh, even in the beginning when the guys dressing up as Hitler, the 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 Russian guy. Yeah. Dressing up as Hitler and getting that the, the written on the side of cows with chalk, you know, saying, uh, eat me before the Germans do. Yeah. All this kind of stuff. So, yeah, everything's a bit insane, isn't it? Yeah. yeah and that's yeah. right at the beginning where you're like, whoa, this is all a bit strange. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I guess, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, and if all of this sounds unrelentingly grim, it's also kind of a masterclass in restraint. It's a confronting film, no doubt, but not it's never gratuitous, I felt. Uh, we aren't treated to wall to wall graphic bloodshed. As Klimov himself says, as a young boy, I'd been in hell. Had I included everything I knew and shown the whole truth, even I could not have watched it, <laughs> uh, which is something. And it's proof that you can be shocking moving without showing, you know, spilled guts and limbless bodies being dragged around mm. the beach. Yeah, you know, that's right. Um, and I've often said that, that there's lots of war films, but few true anti-war films. Even films that make war seem unforgivably brutal. You know, Full Metal Jacket and Saving Private Ryan. 
can't help but also make war seem awesome at times. Yeah. You know, it's dramatic and it's exciting to watch. Uh, a boy's own adventure full of daring do and heroic soldiers. But Come and See is one of a special group of movies. Uh, alongside films like All Quiet and the Western Front that show us war as the mechanised slaughter and dehumanisation that it is. There are no real heroes in Come and See, just the dead and the dead men walking. And it's hard to know who's better off. Yep. No. <laughs> so, so thanks for that. Yeah, <laughs> no worries. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's a striking film uh, the whole way through. And, uh, and I think the reputation of it probably may be a little bit um, trepidatious to watch it. Right. Um, because I was like, well, how much do I want to sit through this yeah. heavy-going slaughter? Because it's a, it's a good two and a half hours virtually, isn't it? I think yeah, It's about 2.20. Yeah. Um, and it's not a hard watch at all. No. So when anyone's hearing this, I don't want them to sound – I don't want them to be put off by thinking, oh, this is just a grim, you know, yeah. lesson in the brutality of war, which it is, but it's also a beautifully made film. It is, yeah. And, and that's exactly right. That's what I wanted to – um, iterate to people was how watchable it is and how yeah. how it, the the control of the tension you yeah. know bad things are coming yeah you just and the way that they they you know drop from the sky occasionally and the way that they glimpsed over your shoulder occasionally yeah. and the way that they appear from under you when you're digging around yeah you know they're just around the corner that kind of thing it's 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 brilliant it's yeah. brilliantly directed uh, and when I read that the director just, like you say, mic dropped and just said, that's it, I've, uh, what more can I say? Yeah. It's true. You know, you hear about directors going, well, you know, like Tarantino's going to make like eight ten, films, eight yeah, films yeah. or whatever. And it's, yeah. Mm. Well, it's like, well, yeah, this is one where you don't even need to do that where someone goes, oh, this was that guy's last film? Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's a, going out on top. a film to go out on. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think as far as anti-war films go, Agree. I don't know that you need to say much more than this. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's one of the most powerful anti-war films I think you'll ever see. Yeah, and uh, and the the people in the centre of frame as well. Yeah, that, right. That's that's a real motif throughout it. They're in the centre of frame, almost Kubrickian. Yeah, <laughs> but with people rather than than a composition of uh, of a landscape like it is often yeah, with Kubrick. Yeah. Uh, this is more people centre of frame, looking straight at the camera. Yeah, the looking at the camera thing is really interesting because for a while I thought, oh, he's you know, it's an interesting choice to try and fill film people front on and get their expressions, but I also think it's the people in the film staring out at the camera yeah. and, and addressing you as an audience, you know? That's right. And, and just, like, look at this, look at this, look at what this is doing, look at what this is doing to me, you know? Yeah. It's a wonderful film, and um, if you'd like to see it, uh, the whole film's on Daily Motion yeah. uh, in three parts, yeah. um, and it's um, pretty good quality. And uh, the subtitles are all good, so yep. um, yeah, check it out. Um, come and see, I would definitely say, come and see, come and see. Definitely. Spoiler alert! All right. Well, uh, after that, <laughs> <laughs> we can uh, kick back and watch um, Simon's choice for me, yes. um, which was Equinox, uh, which from 1970, directed by Dennis Murin and Jack Woods, starring Edward Connell, Barbara Hewitt, Frank Bonner, and Fritz Lieber. Frank Bonner. Yeah. Look, my review of this film may be a little like the movie itself, unevenly paced, amusing, and dipping in and out of coherence. Uh, <laughs> but if it's as creative as the film, then you're in for a bit of a treat. Equinox is a story of four teenagers going to visit their college professor in his cabin in the woods, but they discover his cabin has imploded and he has disappeared. But during their wanderings, they find a crazy old man who gives them a book that summons demons and crosses dimensions. Hmm. So you watched Evil Dead? Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, Equinox is claimed to have been a huge influence on Evil Dead. By everyone, it sounds like, except Sam Raimi. Can't believe he hasn't seen it. Yeah, he, he, he kind of just seems a bit like, interviews I've found with him, he states to have been aware of it, but possibly not even seen it. Right. Um, although other people who worked on Evil Dead have said, you know, quite equivocally that they're, f- they're more forthcoming in its influence on their work. Right. Uh, both George Lucas and legendary stop-motion guru Ray Harryhausen are vocal fans of the work. Right, yeah, cool. And, of course, Equinox was directed by Dennis Murin, legendary effects artist who went on to start ILM with George Lucas yep. and did effects for Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Terminator 2, and Jurassic Park, and in the process, winning eight Academy Awards. It's amazing that this film isn't more widely seen, isn't it, Duncan? <laughs> it is. And you may be doubting my words when you see the cruelly designed and hilariously out-of-proportion stop-motion animation, but this is Equinox in a nutshell, a talented artist's embryonic state. So how do we critique Equinox for its achievements in the face of significant limitations or as a curiosity or as a film on its own terms because all three prisms yield very different results? <laughs> uh, the framing story is actually a little reminiscent of the Invasion of the Body Snatchers or a Twilight Zone kind of film, a madman telling his incredible story to sceptical authorities. Um and it begins and ends in here, and what an ending. Like a shaggy dog story of a climax where a curse may or may not be coming to its fulfillment, literally finishing with a question mark on the screen. <laughs> the end? <laughs> uh, look, I'll be honest and say that the film's first half is a real slog to get through. Um, yeah, it's like only about 70 minutes long, but it feels longer. <laughs> yeah. Punctuated by one effective claustrophobic chase through pitch black tunnels where there is a growing sense that the characters are getting lost in time and space. I found that quite effective, actually. Mm. Um, The characters bitching at each other while staggering around around dusty trails and through shallow streams reminded me of the Blair Witch Project a little bit. Mm. Um, But also there's the genre's inherent lack of logic in characters' behavior, even manifesting in the character's line, I don't like all this splitting up, (laughs) despite being the one to suggest they split up on two earlier occasions. (laughs) (laughs) I, I I love the splitting up because... In the first half of the film, characters split up all the time for barely logical reasons. And you know what? Nothing bad happens. Mm. They just split up and go for a walk. And then in the second half of the film, it's like every time they split up, something terrible happens. Yeah. And in the first half, it's just like they're not punished for it at all. They're kind of almost rewarded. The only thing that happens is the film gets a bit longer. It adds precious minutes to its runtime. Yeah. But then in the second half of the film, splitting up becomes a no-no. <laughs> I love as well the first time they split up, uh, one woman bends down to tie up a shoelace and the other people walk out of frame literally out of frame like they're yeah. in a kind of a clearing yeah. they walk out of frame but in the logistics of that you know from your own eyes you know that they're just out of frame yeah, yeah. and she's like oh I don't know where they are so I'll go in the opposite direction <laughs> like she can't even hear there's no one else around she's just like like she's deaf oh I can't hear them Yeah. so then I'll just go this way I guess yeah. uh, <laughs> it is the splittiest, uppiest horror film, if it's horror film, I've ever seen. Yeah. yeah. And surprisingly, everyone just like adjusts to things very easily. You know, especially Dave, uh, who is the all-American Fred to the Scooby gang. Mm. He's just kind of got the answers for everything, you know. He's just like, oh, well, so, oh, okay, so another dimension. Right. Well, I think we should do this. You just <laughs> Everyone else should be freaking out. Yeah, um, yeah. And the film spends... Too long with characters absent of personality, except for the smart mouth of the group, Jim, who is, to put it bluntly, a dick. Yeah. Especially towards the woman, continually implying that his girlfriend is both mentally and physically slow. Man. And in a moment of blatant product placement, putting down the woman's cooking. 
um, with the KFC turns yeah. up out, out oh, of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but clearly he is one of the only actors with any ability, um, yes. and he's played by Frank Bonner. Who Frank would, Bonner. would famously go on to play Herb Tarlick on WKRP in Cincinnati. And I love Herb. Oh, fantastic. I didn't realize that until I did the research and I was like, but he did stick out. I was like, that guy, no wonder he's got all the lines. It felt like to me there were two couples. One couple was taken from a 60s or 70s horror film, yeah. like an annoying couple from a Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know? Yeah. And the other couple were taken from a 40s horror movie yeah. with a super clean cart and super nice. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like it was generation swapping almost. Yeah. It's kind of like the um, Janet and Brad out of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. You know, like how they turn straight. up, just yeah, just yeah. all American, like how they turn up. It's like that, yeah. But this is in like a straight horror film, not yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, not knowingly, not ironically, no, no, not, no, no. not. Um, it also stars the iconic science fiction figure Fritz Lieber as a mysterious college professor. Uh, to see tentacles wrapping around and destroying his cabin as he skulks around, very meta moment, especially for a film that was shot in 1967, and one that no doubt appealed to Lieber himself, I'm sure. So look, let's put to one side the dialogue and its delivery and focus on the special effects. One scene where they are effective is in a visual representation of the story told in the book, one that involves apocalypse-inducing cults. The shots of robed priests leaping into time rips as if they're sliding into the pit of Carcoon, it's a real standout. Yeah. They really kind of stayed with me. And when I think about that film, I think, oh, I do. that's quite creepily effective. And it's an example of one of the few eerie moments that the film reaches for and grasps because mostly the film aims for these and misses quite spectacularly. Uh, for example, the transformation from man to devil was just like a jump cut. Yeah. So it's like, I was just cracking up. It was genuinely hilarious. But the continued stalking of the flying devil against Dave flying through, you know, the, the, the devil's flying through the air and he's running along the ground. Yeah. That was creepy as well. And the jerky stop motion worked in this instance because I can't think I've realized that this era's jerky stop motion animation Reminds me of like insects or something, as they can have right. like random movements yeah. that propel them at strange angles and paces when threatened or excited. Um, yeah, and I found that that was <laughs> there's moments when this is laughable and moments brief, very brief moments when it's quite effective. Yeah, and I can see what they're reaching for. The film was made for just six thousand five hundred dollars, all of Murin's apparently, even though he somehow got his name taken off as director. Deepest. And it appears as if it's made up as it goes. Uh, reshoots were done, and there were, apparently there's two distinct versions floating around. And the one that I saw, I believe, was the second edit. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the one I saw as well. Which includes a moment of titillation that seems at odds with the rest of the film's very chaste feel. Like, it feels a little bit yeah quaint and goofy. And this one really stood out as a woman is molested by a possessed park ranger whose wild eyebrows are matched by his equally wild, maniacal laugh. The woman he molests seems hypnotized or paralyzed by fear as he draws on her because here, in this film, you can zombify people through hypnotic slobbering, kissing. Mm. And mm. so um, she becomes slowly infected with similar possession. Yeah. It's a really weird <laughs> scene. But then she kind of becomes possessed and attacks someone else, and that very much did remind me of Evil Dead. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that part did as well for me. Yeah, you're yeah. right, you're right. Um, but these rules are just made up as I go along. Oh, I can possess you. Oh, you're going to the dimension. Totally. And like you say, you can tell a film that's had a lot of reshoots, eh? <laughs> yeah. You know? And this one's, yeah, that's had a lot of extra stuff like, oh, we need another story, you know? Yeah, we need another story. Or, oh, we've got this effect. Or how about we put something in here with the, the, the blonde girl. Let's do something that will get the, the driving audiences, yep. you know, like going. It's, it really does leap out that scene. It's random and unpredictable, the never-ending daylight, especially. Like, mm. It's this 
whole film is you know it's all set in like midday sun basically yeah and and you know although maybe that's something to do with the alternate dimensions that they're entering in and out easily be eh? you don't know like and I'm also impressed that their clothing is just immaculate in spite of climbing cliffs, fighting demons, and getting through, pulled through multiple dimensions. Mm. Yeah, they've always got, especially seeing as they've all, a couple of them have got white pants. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a bit dusty. Um, and also, I love that uh, they have, um, that it's kind of set in this, like it's supposed to be woods, but it's clearly the California desert. Yeah, you know, yeah, area. yeah, yeah. yeah so right. it just looks like they're in a quarry or something yeah. half the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, I get that this is supposed to be deep, that kind of gothic. Oh, forest. you just expect, um, you know, Captain Kurt to be fighting a reptile monster, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it just doesn't quite work. Where you're like, if you guys are just surely there's some pretty decent forests around there. Um, you don't need to extra five minutes down the road. Couldn't do it. Yeah. So in summing up, I. I I'd say, although it does feel a little like the top picks of the science fiction genre and the 48-hour film festival crammed <laughs> together, <laughs> if you have the appetite and can get past, or probably better yet, get in to the swinging 60s blandness of the performances, this could be a good midnight movie. It certainly has the effect of being slowly sucked into a black hole the longer it goes on. Such are the randomness of the ideas, effects, and creatures being presented. Yeah, look, I, after I asked you, because I was quick to say Equinox, I want you to watch Equinox. I mean, yeah. that was the first thing I thought of. And I was thinking, why did I choose this film? Because it's in many ways, uh, how would you say this? Not a good film. Mm. But I think I needed you to watch it so that I had someone else <laughs> who had experienced it in the world. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to be the only person who had seen this film. Yeah. Well, this is on Criterion Collection. Oh, jeepers. Wow. This got released on Criterion Collection. Well, clearly we aren't the only people. No. And I, the copy I saw... Um, said on the header, it came up and it said Criterion Collection, and I thought someone who had uploaded this film was having a laugh. Was having a laugh. Yeah, I thought it was. You know, it was like putting up Academy Award winner for Best yeah. Picture, or like, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, the Palm Dior or something. I was like, are they going to be having a laugh? Found out that it has a Criterion Collection and even had a had a big release. At, I think it might have even been at Man's Chinese Theatre in LA, and they were all there. You know, Dennis Muren and yeah, people, uh, actors involved in it. Um, so there are people out there. If you a good uh, hotbed of discussion is actually the IMDb page for Equinox. Oh, really? And for a film that I just described, you'd think maybe there's one or two people, you know, mm. who kind of, uh, you know, anoraks who have been mm. defending this. But there is a lot of, you know, real strong defense yeah, 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 of yeah, this yeah. film. Yeah, it does have a strong cult following. Yeah, got to be said. So yeah, so it is. I'm glad that I watched it. Thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> uh, my pleasure. I think with editing, this would actually be um, a kind of a, a good, bad film to watch. Yeah. I just think that the beginning is there's just yep. too much of walking around aimlessly from that. Oh, look, I guess where all the splitting up happens just to add minutes of runtime to the film. Yeah. Because, I mean, not. it's barely, I mean, 70 minutes. I mean, mm. that's short at the best of times. Yeah. But um, if you condense some of that, you'd be looking at under 60. Really? Yeah, I think this would be a good 45-minute film. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think like, if you've got what you've got there, I'm like... If you cut this down to forty five minutes, that would be yeah. that would be uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately it's seventy two minutes, so Yeah. Wow. Yeah, well that gives you some indication. It's nearly thirty minutes too long. Yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah, cheers for that. Oh, my pleasure. And thanks for coming too. No worries. Um Equinox is also I think that's all also over the um it's on YouTube, I believe. It's on YouTube. You can watch it yeah. on YouTube, yeah. 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 So that's on YouTube. Uh and come and see is on Daily Motion. Might even be on YouTube as well. 
Uh, couldn't find it on YouTube. Did see it on Daily Motion. Right. Yeah. 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 And Jack and Jill, that might be somewhere as well. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I, I thought to myself, you know, maybe we need to watch to return to these discarded challenges. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know if I'm bringing myself to watch Jack and Jill. Well, let, let me just say, it's always up there as an option. Yeah. That's always your second always option. Always there. Always. Whenever we do this, spoiler alert movie challenges. Every time it'll be, you can watch this or Jack and Jill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> spoiler alert. All right, that was our cinematic challenge. Thank you very much, Duncan. Thank you very much, Simon. And so, uh, look, normal spoiler alerting will resume next month. That's right. Uh, not sure what we're going to do yet, but uh, please, if you've got any films you'd like us to review, yeah. um, we've already had a couple of challenges from James Dillon. Yeah. Very excited about it. But if there's something you want us to review in particular, just uh, go on Facebook, steer something to us, and we'll look into it. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, thanks for Equinox, Simon. Oh, thanks for coming, see. Yep, no worries. Um, like I say, they're both easily, you know, can easily find them yep. uh, on the web. The uh, song we're going out to is called Bushes of Love. Yeah, that's right. This is based on a bad lip reading of Empire Strikes Back. Uh, there were no music that we could pick from our movies today, so um, I kind of love this. It's really good to watch it on YouTube so you can actually see the footage it's taken from and see how the bad lip reading evolve. Yeah. So it's all about uh, what happened to Luke's really happened to Luke Skywalker's father, uh, as told by Obi-Wan Kenobi. So thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll see you next month. Take care. Cheers. He had my father die. Forty-nine times we fought that beast. Your old man and me had a chicken head with duck feet with a woman's face, too. Oh, that's rad. And it was waiting in the bushes for us. Ripped off your dad's face He was screaming something awful In fact there was this huge mess And I had to change the floors The floors? You see his blood had drained into the boards And I had to change them But we all got a chicken duck woman thing waiting for us Every day I worry all day I was waiting in the bushes of love Something's waiting in the bushes for us Something's waiting in the bushes of love Every day I worry all day About what's waiting in the bushes of love Something's waiting in the bushes for us Something's waiting in the bushes of love Now I have found too late that this borderline, this equinox between worlds There's no barrier to him who possesses this book of the damned